0: Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome and today we uh, head out west to Winnipeg, Manitoba. And we're going to be talking to Diane Rosson of the Winnipeg Boldness Project. So, Diane, welcome, and tell me about your academic experiences.
1: Anin, buzu, and hello, uh, Peter. It's really nice to uh, be invited onto your program. And, uh, yeah, I'm always very happy to talk about um, what I'm doing here in Winnipeg and a little bit about myself and where I've come from. And so you're asking about uh, academics. You know, I um, grew up a lot in rural manitoba i am anishinaabe um and so i am first nation and uh you know grew up in rural manitoba where my mom's community close and in around my mom's community which is scowinan first nation uh, and again that's an Anishinaabe community in uh, sort of the middle of manitoba i'd say um, and so came into the city to go to university right out of high school and um you know did was working part-time while I was going to university to support myself financially. And uh, that's how I kind of got involved in the whole field of child welfare. Um, And after my first degree, uh, I realized that I probably wanted to do more in terms of what was happening in child welfare. I was um, not happy with some things I was experiencing and seeing. And so I thought I needed to go further into my education to, um, to affect more change. And so I went on and did a second degree. So I do have, I am a social worker by background and that is my um, schooling and yeah, and I've been sort of in this field ever since. And that's a little bit, uh, a little bit of how the Winnipeg Boldness came into being. So I'll stop there and.
0: Okay. Well, let's get into your work experience. Some while you were at university and then since university.
1: And, and as I was just saying, you know, um, working part time in in these different places primarily in group homes that were um pr- you know homes for a lot of children but there was a lot of indigenous children in there and um and I just felt like you know we could do better and I thought things could be done better and I just I felt like we were not um serving the kids as well and the families as well as we could be and so that was what drove me to to really go further into that field and to see um, what else I could, could do to make things better or to help uh, improve the system. And um, through my university degree, I had to do a practicum, which meant I had to do four days of what they call in the field. And um, and I knew I wanted to work for an indigenous organization and I wanted to work in an, in an indigenous way and, and with an indigenous approach. And so I was directed into the the inner city of Winnipeg. I was told, you know, there's folks there doing things and, and, uh, and that's how I, um, you know, either I found them or they found me, but that's how I met so many of the indigenous uh, matriarchs. I call them indigenous women that are in the inner city and they were running the show everywhere and they were getting things done and they were, you know, doing it in a way that just resonated with me and I wanted to to do it the way they were doing it and I wanted to learn more and um, and I just wanted to join them and just, you know, be, be with them and, and do what they were doing. And luckily, they also were happy to have me and sort of took me under their wing immediately. Like I was, um, you know, like in my early 20s back then. And, uh, and they just like mentored me all this time. And so I give all the credit to what I might know now To to them. And so, and there's a lot of them, and there have been a lot of them throughout the years, and they continue to be my mentors and my uh, support system, and my friends and my colleagues. Um, You know, they're there when things get tough, they're there when it's time to celebrate. Um, So, and and I think that the work that's happening in the inner city in terms of how we're serving families and children really is done in, in the best way by those leaders. Um, and, I, and you will always hear me say that in almost every single talk I give, that's what I will say, is that those Indigenous women um, know what they're doing and we need to do more of it. And that's the social innovation side of the work I'm doing currently. Um, I, I am running a social lab called the Winnipeg Boldness Project. Um, and with that lab, we're, um, you know, we know that systems need to change so that they can better serve families, the families and the children that they're purportedly designed to serve. Um, and I think the Indigenous women in the inner city uh, have a lot of good ideas and a lot of uh, knowledge and wisdom that can uh, inform those systems and shape those systems and can um, provide the kinds of resourcing and services that our families really are looking for and, and the kind that, um, you know, bring our families into a thriving place versus this survival mode that systems often force families into.
0: Okay so the winnipeg boldness project i mean normally a project has a start and an end but yours doesn't
1: yeah you know we started out with a start and an end at the very beginning we we had um, a thought about how long we might be around and we thought we would you know try this lab work on and and go into community and see you know what community was was going to tell us, and at this point, I think there's, um, you know, we we do regular touchdowns with all of our stakeholders, and we're, we're in constant communication and in, in an ongoing, you know, mutual and reciprocal relationship with so many of our stakeholders, and um, yeah, we're getting the feedback that we have to keep going, and that we're we're seeing success, and we're people are really valuing this community wisdom that we're able to tap into and we're able to use that community wisdom to design solutions to the challenges that our systems are facing. And so we're up to about 12 of those prototypes now, and we're and some of them are already scaling. And, and again, I think our stakeholders and more importantly, our community is telling us that you know, we need to keep going because I think that for some of our community, particularly our indigenous families, they're really feeling listened to and they're really feeling heard and they're, and they're seeing the stuff they're talking to us about. They're seeing that uh, turn into tangible uh, project ideas that can be scaled, you know? And so we're talking to obviously funders and decision makers and policy makers about how we might scale uh, those community driven uh, ideas.
0: So Winnipeg, why not national? Um, you
1: know, there was a, a very intentional uh, decision to, to really locate this in a physical place. And so we are working in a very particular neighborhood, um, which we call the North Point Douglas neighborhood. We, you know, we've made a very intentional decision to uh, work directly with the families and the children that are living in that neighborhood. They're They're living, playing, working in that neighborhood um and uh and so there that's where we start and that's who we're in this ongoing relationship with the ideas that get generated when we build the prototypes and then when we look to scale those prototypes the ideas can scale to any part of canada for for the large part they can be replicated i mean some are super local so some are gonna change and shift depending on the local place that they're you know potentially going to be in but yeah, some of them actually can scale nationally, and so we've had some of those interesting conversations, and um, we find some of our work is um, finding its way into national conversations or into national initiatives. So that is naturally happening. Um, but we're we're committed to being very grounded and very, um, uh, you know, located in a in a particular neighborhood in
0: Winnipeg as our as our um, focus. Okay. A really easy question. Uh, Partnerships and funding, which kind of go together a little. Talk to us about that.
1: Well, you know, in this world of social innovation and in this discipline of social innovation, I really appreciated that social innovation really uh, states quite explicitly that we need collaboration. And the idea of working in our silos and working by ourselves is just the past and we cannot you know the complexity of the challenges that the world is facing today and that we're all facing today uh, it can't be done in isolation and and we have to find ways to collaborate and work together and i know those are really nice words and i know they're really easy to say those words working in true collaboration and true partnership is a lot of work it's, you know, it, we we really take a lot of time to form our relationships. And so for a funder, for instance, we want that funder sort of walking with us, you know, from the start to the finish and in the middle and all the way throughout so that the funder is involved in the whole process. And so we have many of our funders that are involved with us like that. Versus, you know, I, I come from the not-for-profit world. I've applied for funding grants all over the place. I've had every kind of money possible, you know, federal, provincial, city money, philanthropic money, corporate money, I've had all, you know, I've accessed all of it. Um, And by and large, a lot of those funding relationships are transactional, right? Like you put your proposal in, somebody says yes to it, you know, you create a legal agreement about deliverables, and then you write a report somewhere in there, and maybe there's a site visit once in a while. And so that's, in my opinion, feels a bit transactional. Whereas when you have your funders on your committees on a monthly basis, you know, they're involved in some of the prototype design, they're involved in the conversations that are happening in the community, and so that they are experiencing firsthand, you know, what the community wisdom is telling us. And so we think that that's a different way to fund. Uh, and it's a, and it, again, it takes a bit of time, but I think it, it, um, it creates... A depth of understanding um, that I think is necessary for funding and um, you know funders to probably fund in a different way because I think that transactional approach really is conducive to that uh, siloed, you know, um, segregated kinds of, of programming. But when we're all collaborating in the community, we expect our funders to do that too. Like that, the funders need to also collaborate with us and, and among each other uh, if, if we're doing that in the community. So, um, so we, we're really appreciative of, of the funders that we have. And, um, and kind of to your point earlier about a time limited project, you know, our funders have continued to walk with us for longer than they ever expected. Um, and I think it's again because they see the value in it. And more importantly, they see the community sees the value in it. And so, um, you know, that and along with a whole bunch of tangible deliverables that, you know, can help meet the mandates of some of our funders and some of our government folks and some of our policy people, like, you know, if we can generate solutions and ideas that help those systems uh, create solutions to to their challenges, then of course, there's going to, they're going to feel and see the value of this platform. Um, so, yeah, we, 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 we work at it. We keep, you know, keep people engaged all along the way. And when you're in a relationship like that, again, you just you, you breed a, a deeper understanding. And, and I think, therefore, the funding gets committed in a different way uh, because folks are just more um, engaged in the work.
0: Well, what you're doing is really pushing corporate social responsibility which I am a big advocate of because there's financial, there's in-kind, and there's volunteer opportunities for organizations to get involved with you. And I think that really makes a difference.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, when we think about social purpose or social enterprise or even just straight-up enterprise, like I think of a continuum. And so, you know, we might have... (laughs) full-on corporate on one end of the continuum and then we might have you know social enterprise or even the not-for-profit world on the other on the other side end of the continuum and i find that a lot of the ideas that we're generating can fall somewhere in between and so when our indigenous community is coming up with these solutions to the system a lot of times they in, in the scaling conversation it's about trying to figure out how can our community then deliver this resource or deliver this service. And so quite often they start thinking about formalizing and they start thinking about a governance structure. And so we'll get into the conversations about, well, maybe this is going to be a social enterprise instead of a not-for-profit. Maybe this is going to be a straight up enterprise. We have a lot of conversations about the B Corps movement, Um, you know, and, and so what I find though at the core is, the social purpose tends to be at the core. And then we have the enterprise conversation around the core of social purpose. And I, and I feel like sometimes in, um, corporate world, you know, the, the, the enterprise comes first and then the social purpose comes after. And I think I I'm in a lot of conversations where we put the social purpose first. And I have to say there is a burgeoning, you know, um, the, again, the places I, connect into. Um, there's a burgeoning indigenous uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial um, world happening out there. And I just see indigenous women coming out full force, you know, uh, in, in this, in, in enterprise. And so, and again, it, it's all of, from social enterprise to straight up enterprise to, to B Corps, um, and and they're just, you know, really uh, going at it and, and having really great success. And I'm very hopeful. <laughs> Because it seems to me that most of those women, they somehow find a way to tie back to community, right? And so they're, they're always thinking, you know, I'm not just trying to be an entrepreneur who's trying to get rich overnight or something like that or get rich, period. Um, so often they're thinking about how might I help my community, uh, you know, do better. And that includes economics. Not, economics isn't the only thing. But certainly, you know, economics and wealth is is an important part of of living a good life. And in my language, we call that mino bamadziwin, which is living a good life. Um, And so we know that we need economic reconciliation in this country so that we all might do well. And and when I say prosper, I, I just mean live a good life, right? It doesn't necessarily mean be rich or anything
0: like that. Well, there's a new book out called Indigenomics. I don't know whether you've seen that one.
1: Yeah, I've read it. It's great. Carol Ann Hilton is is a friend, and yeah, she, she's really nailed it on the head. And she, in that book, you know, just points all over the place to all of this, you know, uh, indigeneity everywhere, how, you know, Indigenous people are in the economy and the potential, you know, the big potential, So, which is, I think, a big part of uh, of her um of her uh, movement, right, is about how there's this billion-dollar economy that is there and can be had, and we just need to commit and go, and um, and it can happen, right? We can see it. We can see the
0: sightline on it. Okay, let's get back to Diane. You have a team. Yeah. Tell, tell me about your team because you're passionate. You're a visionary, but you got to have some help. Yeah. So
1: we have, um, so we're a community driven project, the team, the employed team that has, you know, sort of does this every day all day and is paid for it is there's four of us all together. So we're a small team. Uh, but we rely on our community for so many things. And so we have really strong relationships with our, our community organizations with our families. We have strong relationships with our knowledge keepers and our elders Uh, relationships with our researchers. So we have this thing called guide groups. And so we have a whole bunch of guide groups and they do exactly that. They guide us all along the way. So we go to these circles and we say, what can we do? How might we do it? You know, and they give us all the best advice and guidance and they help us get the job done. So our community really does a lot of the heavy lifting uh, when it comes to designing prototypes and implementing and testing those prototypes and then scaling those prototypes. So a lot of that work happens outside of the four of us as staff. We play the role often of coordinating, of evaluation work, of collecting the data, of writing it up, doing the analyzing, doing the sense making, and then the report writing. We'll do a lot of that work. That's the research and development work that we most directly do. But when it comes to designing those prototypes, our families and our community organizations are the ones that really are designing the prototypes. And then they're the ones testing the prototypes because we want direct feedback from our families and our organizations about what's working, what's not working, how to make it better. So when we finally get to a, a you know, an end point in the prototyping process, we're pretty confident that this is a good idea that the community is going to love and it's going to have good bang for the buck. And as a policymaker or a decision, program decision maker, you you can't go wrong. We've totally taken the risk out of this for you because we've tested it, right? We've put it through the R&D process, and now it's ready.
0: So in terms of measurement, is it just outputs, or do you also measure outcomes?
1: Well, this is the interesting conversation we have about evaluation in uh, in a social lab. And so we're not delivering programs, right? Like if, if anything, we're testing resources or we're testing program ideas. And so we have um, a whole series of different kinds of evaluation tools that we use. So because we're short-term and the, pro- the testing of the prototypes, we collect a lot of data around the prototypes. We have rapid feedback loops where, you know, when the families give us that input, we build it back into the prototype. Um, and so we're not able to really measure long term you know population uh, level kinds of outcomes which is i know what most people think about when they hear the word outcome um, you know and so we, and, and also we we talk a lot to directly to our families and to our community and so the things they tell us about how they feel different or how they feel changed or any kind of stuff like that, you know, we're, we're finding different ways to tell that story that, cause I think those are still outcomes, um, but they're not the typical outcomes that evaluators tend to think about. So I think we're carving some new paths as well in evaluation world. And we're really leaning into developmental evaluation, which is all about learning. Uh, we're really learning into concepts of contribution, <laughs> analysis versus attribution analysis. Um, So so we're really looking at different kinds of tools that can help tell the impact story that can tell the value story and can tell, um, you know, the importance of what are we doing and why are we doing it?
0: (laughs) Okay. Now more of a fun question. Three years from today, what's going to happen to the boldness project? What's it going to look like? Well, you know, most
1: directly, I would hope that the Boldness Project is still in place. I would hope that it is still working quite closely with our community um, and that it is resourced to do so. But most importantly, I would hope that the community ideas that have been generated and built at the Boldness Project or with the Boldness Project, that those ideas have seen light and that they are scaling and that we can see them in different parts of our community, whether it's right in our north end more, or if it's in government or if it's in corporate world, you know, ideally we see our prototype scaling in different uh, parts of this city. And, and as you've indicated, even nationally, um, it would be nice to see some of the scaling happen at uh, different levels.
0: So you're obviously a speaker and you enjoy yep. doing it. So, how do people find out your website? What's the address?
1: Um, I mean, we're all over the social media, so you can Google us. Uh, we are like we have a website, we have so um, uh, Instagram account, we have a Facebook account, we have a Twitter account. We're we're big on our hashtags. We have a LinkedIn account. Um, so I think we're pretty easy to find, uh, and it's WinnipegBoldness.ca. Um, Yeah, so we're out there all over the place, so give us a follow and or, or, you know, contact us directly. We're always super happy to share uh, what we've learned, and we're always happy to help others uh, walk this path if if they're inclined to do so.
0: Well, thank you, Diane. You've got a great story. You've got great passion, and you're having fun doing it. That's also important.
1: Yeah, you know, I have to say, our community, our families, our children— are so inspiring and so they motivate me every day. They give me lots of hope and inspiration and so much motivation that I just, you know, keep wanting to do better because I'm proud. I'm proud of what our community is doing and I'm proud of the wisdom in our community. So it just makes me want to do more.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Okay, well, and miigwech, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed our chat today.